Welcome everyone to episode 11 of the Spin Badger podcast. Um, just a heads up before we get started that there won't be an episode next week. I'm going to have a break and then release the next episode on New Year's Day. Um, that's one to look forward to, the same as this week. Um, as always, we really appreciate it if you could leave a review for the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get the podcast from um, or just share with anyone you think could be interested in it. And also uh, we've got all the other... Um, spinners that have been on so far um all those episodes are still available to listen in the back catalogue if you haven't already um so yeah so let's crack on with today's episode cheers uh, so today's guest played 11 tests for england taking 37 wickets at an average of 33 i met him for the first time while i was at uni and we ended up working together a lot over the next five or so years um with his role as ecb lead spin coach I realised how good his playing career just was when seeing his name on the honours board at the SCG for his Ashes 581, which was actually his second Ashes 5 wicket haul, to go with his 667 on debut. Welcome to the Spin Badger podcast, Peter Such. Thanks for, thanks for the invite and delighted to contribute towards it. Brilliant. Cheers, Sush. Um, so starting with your uh, playing career, just thought to talk a little bit about your playing career and you know, like throughout your playing career and then I guess also into your um, path into coaching, like do you think that spin bowling changed a lot through that period? Um, Certain things about spin bowling have changed, but the skill of actually bowling hasn't changed. Um, You know, the same basic principles apply um, at the bowler's end. You know, your action hasn't changed. I think the only thing that, changed and has evolved has been the sort of the way that you apply your skills across the different formats the actual art and the skill of bowling is still the same you've still got to do the same thing you've got to land it in good areas with spin you've got to have your variety you've got to have that sort of tactical acumen and uh, you've got to be sort of pretty mentally tough to sort of compete and to, to survive so a lot of things haven't changed. All I'd say is that what has changed is the, the way that you apply those skills across the, the different formats. And that's become more and more prevalent, shall we say, with the advent of T20 cricket and the, the globalisation of, of those franchises. Um, but, you know, if you look at sort of the longer format of the game, the three and four day cricket there, um, you know, your stop ball is still the most important ball that you bowl. That hasn't changed and it, and it, and it won't change. Um, you know, you need to have that stop ball so you can control the game and attack the batter. Um, with the advent of the shorter formats, then obviously you need to use a lot more variety about your bowling. You, you've got to get the ball moving both ways if you can. Adjust your lengths, those sorts of things. Change your pace more often so that you don't get lined up. But, you know, fundamentally... Your bowling action is the same. You're just sort of bowling with more variety. Um, I've also believed that um, you know good bowlers would have been good bowlers in any era. The only thing that might happen is you might have to do things a little bit differently. But I still think that sort of you know the good bowlers of today would still have been good bowlers back in the fifties, sixties, whenever. You just do things slightly differently. That's all. Yeah, I think there's. Loads of interesting stuff there to kick off. I think that um, that stuff about bowlers in different era I haven't really thought of before. But I remember, um, you know, I guess all bowlers kind of adapt to their their time. And I remember reading a book on I think like again this shows probably my level of geekiness, but 
reading a book about, you know, the history of spin bowls and all the things, and they spoke about, um, I think it was Bill O'Reilly, the, the Aussie bowler. I think he basically used to run in and bowl, like, medium pace uh, leg spin. And I think like that, you know, there's a lot to learn from history. Like, I think if someone started doing that today, like, they'd be like, oh, that's a good idea. I guess you've got someone like Rashid Khan bowling very quick. But I think, you know, if you can spin it both ways at pace, then that's going to be effective. So I think there's, there's a lot to be learned there. And one big thing you said there, which I think basically every single guest on this has said is, you know, your stop ball is your most important ball, whatever the format, whatever the situation. So that's, that's really encouraging to hear that, um, that you think that as well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. If you know you stop ball, you've got a foothold in the game. Definitely. And um, so I guess kind of following on from that, um, and just talking about your coaching for a little bit longer. Like, what do you have like a general coaching philosophy for spinners? That you know, what what are the things that you you look for? What are the things that you try and do as a as a coach? Um, I think when it comes to my sort of coaching philosophy, I try and keep it as simple as possible. Um, and um, the first thing that I say to all spin bowlers is, remember what you are. You are a spin bowler. You're not a slow bowler, you're a spin bowler. So as a consequence of that, you need to try and spin the ball hard. Um, by spinning the ball hard, what it's going to achieve for you, it's going to achieve for your shape in the air, that drift and drop in the air. And then when it pitches, you're going to get the break and bounce off the surface. And those are the sort of the, the key elements of spin bowling. And the harder you spin the ball, the more it will drift, the more it will drop, the more it will break, the more it will bounce. So, you know, when you are sort of, practicing or playing try and spin the ball hard and also by spinning the ball hard you're going to be bowling with real intent and completing your action so you're going to be true to those principles those values so that's one of the things that I sort of try and get over to batters um so over to, to spin bowlers um the other thing that spin bowlers have to have they have to have that ability to deceive the batsman you've got to have that ability to beat them in the air and beat them off the pitch um and the only way you can do that is by spinning the ball hard because it gets you shape and movement. And um, so just sort of try and spin the ball hard. Um, when it comes to tactics, again, very, very simple. Um, for me, the game revolves around the top of off stump. If you as a bowler can bowl the vast majority of your deliveries hit in the top of off stump, you've got to be successful. Um, obviously, I appreciate that in shorter formats, then that varies a little bit because you don't want to be too predictable. But sort of most of the cricket that particularly young bowlers play, if you hit the top of off stump, you're going to be successful. Um, the other thing that I sort of like to try and sort of talk to young bowlers about is to bowl a length that brings the batsman forward so that you're, that you're almost inviting the drive. And there are a number of reasons for that. If you're bowling length that brings the batsman forward, it enables you to set a field for it because the ball's going to come in that sort of wide V between extra cover and mid-wicket. That's where the ball's going to go. Um, if you bowl a little bit shorter than that, then you can still be hit straighter, but you can also be hit squarer. So you've got a bigger area of the field to defend by not pitching the ball up and not inviting the drive. And if you're inviting the drive and spinning it, then you've got a chance of success. So I would sort of encourage people to do that. And the other thing about it as well is that it's a perception thing. Um, you know, when everybody sees a batsman play a drive, everybody goes, good shot, well played, that sort of thing there. Whenever they see a cut or a pull, they say, crap ball. 
good shot is always better than crap ball. So, you know, why not invite the drive? Um, when it comes to the technique of bowling spin, this is very much an individual thing, but um, I, I believe passionately in the value of alignment. If you get your feet, your hips, and your shoulders lined up to the target and you spin your bowling arm to the target and take your energy to the target through the crease, the ball will go to the target with revs on it. And, you know, that's bowling. So just have that very basic sort of technical principle in there. Um, in terms of the way that you go about your business um, and you know what you've got here with the spin badger podcast is a classic example of this you've got people who are passionate about the art of spin bowling and all spin bowlers have to be passionate about their art and this passion needs to grow as you progress through the game you've got to get deeper and more interested in it um, and that interest in it sort of then leads you on to work hard at your game and I've been privileged enough to speak to an awful lot of top quality spin bowlers through my sort of role as a player and a coach. And, uh, you know, none of them achieved anything without working hard, without putting those hours in, in the practice field, in the nets, whatever it is, doing spot bowling, working on their variety, working on their action. You know, they all, they all worked hard at their game. And the final sort of thing that I, I sort of, look to sort of underpin my coaching is I believe that we're all individuals. Every single spin bowler looks different, but I guarantee you there will be certain things that all of those spin bowlers are doing that are pretty similar. So, you know, I like to respect the individual and work with the individual, but also make them aware of a few common basics that will help to underpin their game. So those are my sort of, basic sort of coaching philosophy or principles that I go with. Yeah, there's loads of brilliant stuff in there, uh, Sush. Um, just picking up on some of them you, you spoke about at the start about, uh, you know, trying to really spin the ball hard. Like that's something I, I really um, agree with, you know, because like you said, it's not just what you get off the pitch. If you can get more in the air, that's also brilliant. But you said about, uh, you know, if you're completing your action, because you're trying to spin it hard, you know, that's kind of being true to yourself. Do you think, like, it's also a case that if you're trying to spin it hard, that'll actually also make you more accurate? Like, I think it's a common misconception that, you know, if, if you spin it hard, you might lose your accuracy, you know, whereas what you're saying there is it might actually make you more consistent. I think it does, because, you know, if that's your bowling action, your bowling action is all about spinning the ball hard. If you're going to be spinning it less or taking something out of your action you're doing something different so when you do things different in the game then there's always that element of risk and sometimes that inconsistency can creep in there you know sometimes when you try and bowl it a little bit slower you don't get it quite right because it's not bowled in the same fashion as your your stop ball and your stop <laughs> ball has to be one that you nail yeah i think people talk about like having a, a process or like a you know a buzzword kind of thing and like my some of my Yorkshire teammates will laugh at this because they know that I always say it. But like for me, it's always be aggressive, which I guess is, you know, I'm trying to think about spinning it hard, but I know that that gives me the best chance of also being accurate. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. And just on a side note, I wonder if, you know, we've spent we had a lot of conversations and, and spent time together over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. I wonder if that's something that has kind of rubbed off on me. Um, but going on to the uh, something else shared, which again is a massive belief of mine, that's about bringing the batter forward. 
it's actually came from my dad. He's like, you know, I wouldn't say he's the strongest cricketer in the world. Definitely not a spin bowler. But here we just say, oh, look, it's better to bowl a half volley or even a low full toss than even like a back foot defence, just because you know it's it's a lot more predictable to defend that and, and set your field accordingly, which is also something you spoke about. Just about that alignment. And I, I think, especially in English spin coaching, that's something that's spoken about a lot. And I just wonder, like, for, for listeners, like, how not how important it is because I know alignment's important but like how almost obsessed should you be and what's healthy about you know making sure that your alignment is is really good yeah I, I think um I don't think you, you you should be too obsessed about it you have to be in those sort of parameters of mm. being sort of relatively side onto your target so that your your shoulders your hips and your feet are pointing at the target if they're pointing in the direction of the target and you've got that strong upright posture and you swing the bowling arm, and the ball will go to the target. And that's half of bowling. If, if line and length is bowling, if you can take care of the line aspect by getting your alignment right and your posture right, then you've taken care of half of bowling. You don't need to think about it. Length is more about feel, and it's about where you release the ball from, and it's about how much energy you get on the ball. So... Line is very much a mechanical process in, that's controlled by alignment and posture and your bowling arm swing. Length is about feel, and that's all about how much you spin the ball and the sorts of spin that you put on the ball and where you release it from. Definitely. I know um, you speak really well about all the different types of spin you can get on the ball. We're not going to go down that uh, rabbit hole here, but um, it is interesting to you talk about, you know, barrel spin and all that, all those kind of different things. But uh, But moving on, like, so obviously you were, um, you know, ECB lead spin coach for a decent period of time. Um, and I know during that time you brought in a, a lot of initiatives to try and help spinners. Um, for example, for me, I remember um, you helped me get a, a placement in Sydney playing cricket. And that was, um, you know, where I met Stuart McGill for the first time. He's been a big influence on me. You know, what other kind of things, initiatives did you bring in while ECB um, lead spin coach to try and help spinners? Oh, sort of a number of different things that we look to try and get um, get into the game. Uh, the programs that we put together were all based around the principle of giving bowlers the opportunity to bowl, to actually sort of get match play overs under their belt. And then if we could put an experienced coach or a mentor close to them, then, you know, happy days. That's a sort of a, a sort of a, a double learning opportunity. So, the sorts of programs that we had were the one that you went on to Australia, where we would sort of fund young cricketers, young spinners to go to somewhere like Sydney or wherever it might be. And they would play grade cricket, which is a tough standard of cricket, and you'd get the opportunity to play and bowl. But, you know, having someone like Stu McGill around as a coach and a mentor is a huge, huge bonus. And they can have a, a really significant influence on a, on a young player's career. So those are the sort of principles. So we had that sort of program going in um, in Australia. Um, in New Zealand, we used to send a couple of young spinners over there to, to Wellington. They'd play um, Premier Cricket in Wellington. They'd track, practice and train with the Wellington Firebirds and Jeet and Patel was their coach mentor. So another opportunity to get that bowling experience, but also learn from a top-class practitioner. And then the other sort of programs that we put in place um, were sending young bowlers to India. And um, India is a, a country where there is a culture of spin bowling, where it is 
um, very much an integral part of their game. And, uh, you know, what better place to learn? You learn to play and bowl against quality players of spin in a different environment. And so, and also, you know, we'd have local coaches and, and local mentors working with the individual. So you get that sort of, um, get that sort of experience of how maybe Indian cricketers went about their approach to spin. So there's, there's elements like that. And then other things that you tried to sort of lobby for were to sort of improve the opportunities of young spin bowlers in our domestic game. So you know, one of the things that we, we looked to do was to sort of um, tweak the toss regulation about three or four years ago. Yeah. And for the first year or so, that worked out beautifully. We played on good quality flatter pitches. A lot more spin was bowled because I believe that bowling spin is your best way of getting good at spin. So little things like that, that we, you just try and sort of create environment and opportunity for people to, to play and learn. Yeah, I think that, that uh, toss roll for me definitely came at a good time. That definitely got me a bit more uh, championship game time than I may have done uh, otherwise. So I guess thank you for that. But, um, no you know, um, I guess jumping jumping forward a little bit, you were speaking about um, sending bowls to India. And I think, I think it's not just an English thing. You know, you look at um, countries like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, you know, whenever they go to the subcontinent, how they bowl spin and I guess how they play spin as well is a really important thing. Do you mm -hmm. think like the best way to prepare spinners for bowling in those conditions is just to go and get them out there to, to experience it? I think absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to train and practice in the environment that you're going to perform in. So any experience that you can get out there is, is tremendously valuable. And yeah, they're, they're, they're crackers about it over there. They love it. So it's a, it's a great opportunity. What like would you advise like a spinner like say if they were you know they'd only ever played in English conditions and they were going to the subcontinent to play international cricket like is there anything you know that you would say oh maybe you should try doing this different bowl a bit quicker you know or any of these things what what do you think the best way to be successful in the subcontinent is? Um, I think it just comes down to sort of. Um working out what's going to be the most effective method in whatever territory you're, you're playing in. So if you sort of look at Australia, for example, I'll come to the subcontinent in a minute. If you look at Australia and you look at someone like Nathan Lyon, he's beautifully set up to bowl spin in Australia. Because the pitch doesn't do much sideways for you, you've got to get that drop and bounce. So overspin is massively important for you. And, and he's probably the best exponent of overspin in world cricket. Beautifully over the top of the ball, gets it to drop, gets that exaggerated bounce and profits from it. Um, if maybe you go to the subcontinent, what you tend to find there is that pitches are a little bit grippier and um, they do offer sideways movement for the spins, as for the spinners, uh, and they tend to bowl with a little bit more side spin. Defeating a batsman in the air perhaps isn't as important as it is in Australia. So they look to sort of jam the ball into the pitch with a bit of pace and get side spin on it and... Uh, and bowl you out that way and control the game. So it's yeah, it's just a matter of working out what are the most effective ways of bowling in those conditions and uh, and making sure that you're well prepared before you go. And the best way to prepare is to actually get that experience if you can. Definitely. I think like if you for listeners, if you think about the different way that maybe like Nathan Nathan Lyon would bowl compared to like uh, Ravi Jadeja, like they're two very different 
bowling style swinging spinners, but I want, you know, that's probably to do with what conditions they've been brought up on and, you know, what, what they need to be successful. Absolutely. Sort of, um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the next bit. So, you know, one thing I think is quite interesting in spin bowling and spin coaching is kind of uh, technology. So, uh, you know, when you're at VCB, especially at Loughborough, you would have had access to a lot of, um, you know, kind of state-of-the-art facilities, you know, like TrackMan, for example, to name one thing, you know, how did you use the, the technology to aid your spin coaching? Um, I always believe there is a point technology. There has to be a point to it. Um, and that point is helping to improve the bowler and not overcomplicating it for them. Um, and sometimes when we go down this technological route, things get too complicated. And you speak to a lot of bowlers and a lot of cricketers and, you know, they perform at their best when they keep it simple. So, you know, technology has, has a p- purpose, but it can't overcomplicate the game. Uh, you mentioned TrackMan. TrackMan was a great innovation because it gave you the opportunity to, to measure spin rate. And, um, you know, we've spoken quite a bit earlier in this podcast about the importance of spin and spinning the ball hard. But, you know, how do you measure it? The only way you can measure it is by using TrackMan or a gadget like that. You know, pace bowlers, you've got the old pocket radar and you hold that up there and you say, right, 85 miles an hour, whatever it is. You, know, you don't have that capacity with, with spin. TrackMan is a sort of, a, a, sort of a, a different sort of technology. It is a radar, but it's a more advanced radar that measures revolution. So, so it, it's... So as a spin coach, to a certain extent, you're at a disadvantage because the commodity that you want, spin, is very difficult to measure. So you have to look to other things like that. You have to use your eyes more, your observational feedback. You know, Is the ball drifting and dropping in the air? If it's drifting and dropping in the air, it's got to be spinning. And the more it drifts and drops and the more it breaks and bounces, the harder someone's spinning it. Um, so it is important. Uh, but it but it is difficult. Um, we use sort of biomechanical analysis at, at Loughborough as well, and um, I think you sort of took part in that program there. And that was really good for confirming scientifically a lot of what we already knew about where spin came from. Perhaps what were the components of a solid repeatable action? Those sorts of things there. And one of the real bonuses of doing that was we were able to develop spin-specific strength and conditioning exercises for spin bowlers. If you do these exercises, you will be able to consistently hold your action better and generate more spin on the ball. And that was the purpose of it. You know, it was to develop something that would enhance a spin bowler. Um, video analysis is always helpful, um, but I tend to use that more to back up what you're seeing with your eyes. Terry Jenner used to have a sort of a, a wonderful gadget. He called it the ergonometer. And he just used to look at bowls and tell you what he thought. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, technology is important, but, um, you know, ultimately it has to develop bowlers as opposed to complicate things for people. You know, You don't want it to sort of, to encourage all these complex movement patterns because you know we all know the best bowlers have very simple actions definitely i think i know not everyone would have access to trapman but for me personally i found it as a a really good tool because remember i think i came the first time i came to do that 
biomechanical analysis, you know, where you kind of see a skeleton image of you bowling, bowling, you're bowling actually, you know, and we're going on track man then I think, and kind of seeing how many uh, revs per minute, is that, is that what it is? Revs yeah. per, yeah. Yeah, revs per minute, yeah. Uh, you know, seeing what my uh, revs per minute was and then coming back, like, I don't know, whether it's six months, years, like whenever it was, and just, it was interesting seeing like, right, have I improved? And I think I had, and it's, I guess it's almost goes well with, training you know not just your technical work but also your snc like you said those spin specific exercise i remember for three or four years i basically started every gym session doing like lunge of the twist and i remember vividly like seeing the photo view of a stick doing it um because you know that's what they said oh this is really good for spinners so but um i think that snc for spinners is quite an interesting subject like what's your opinions on it um, I think it has to be spin specific. Obviously, you have your physical competencies that you need as a cricketer, I like the, the speed, the agility, those sorts of things that you use in the field, all that sort of stuff there. You need to have that stamina to bowl sort of consistently well over, over long periods. But ultimately, you need to be training in a way that's going to enhance your performance. So it's going to make you more consistent and it's going to help you to spin the ball more. So if you can sort of focus in on those movement patterns and those exercises that support those two principles, then it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, completely agree with that. I think uh, staying on a kind of guess the sports science um, subject for a little bit of time, I remember um, nothing to do with my cricket. Like when I was at uni studying, just like ended up, when I was born in the library, coming across a few like kind of research papers. And I think some of them might have been um, done at Loughborough about, you know, spin bowling. So some of the stuff you spoke about already about the biomechanics of it and also about, um, I don't know if it's ECB study or not, about um, revs. And it said like, you know, the more revs you put on it, the more likely you are to be successful in international cricket. So I think like they got like a club bowler and an international bowler, and that was basically the biggest difference was the amount of revs they're putting on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wondered if there's anything else that you did, you know, kind of um, there were studies into in terms of spin bowling, and is there, is there anything else you think that needs to be researched in spin bowling, or is there something that hasn't been covered? Um, one of the other things that we did was was really beneficial was we actually sort of did um, a series of interviews with spin bowlers with a view to finding out what the elite bowlers, the test match bowlers, did differently for county bowlers. And um, it was sort of, um, it was quite enlightening, really. It was, it was, again, something that confirmed a lot of what we already knew, but it was so good to have that evidence to say, listen, you know, this has been proved. And um, the sorts of things that, um, that, um, <clears throat> that sort of stood out were um, the successful spin bowlers were, that spin bowling badger, the guy that would take a bag of balls to the nets and do his own practice. He wouldn't wait for a training session to be organized and then sort of bowl in his slot. He would be that guy who was a self-starter. So that was really important. Um, there was a sort of um, a lot of the international spin bowlers were, were born later in the school calendar year. So they were summer babies as opposed to sort of September, October, November, that sort of thing there. And maybe there's something in the fact that, you know, they had to fight that little bit harder being less mature than some of the other sort of guys who were born earlier in the school year. So that was really important. That's really I've never heard that before. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah there, there was, it's, 
there was time on task as well in terms of the amount of practice you, spin specific practice you'd put in over over your development career if you like and um, those that put more in were the better bowlers and yeah logically it follows yeah. um, and then um, in terms of match play opportunities they always bowled a greater proportion of their team's overs so you know if you were playing a 50 over game they always got their 10 overs in so they bowled 20% of it when they played a longer format they would always bowl more overs than other people uh, partly because they're good but you know but the, there is a relationship between the two yeah definitely it's interesting. There's some some really sort of eye-opening stuff that that came out of it and also there was this sort of um late development and sometimes spinners can come from left field they don't come through the traditional pathway route they weren't ones that were in their under nines tens twelves thirteens you know they might come in at 15 they might come into the pathway at 16 you know late developers for whatever reasons but um you know so it, it taught us not to close the door on spin bowlers too early and sometimes we sometimes we do that with, with regard to cricketers in general or sportsmen in general, we sort of think, you know, if we're not working with them at 12, 13, 14, then no point picking them up at 16. And for spin bowlers, that simply isn't true. Yeah, I think that's, a, them, yeah. I think that's a massive point. Like reflecting on my, my own journey is I've, I was definitely a late developer. I played maybe one year of county age groups at 14s and then the next kind of, representative cricket I played was was at second eleven uh, cricket so I think that it's you know I think because as spinners we do mature later you know you're probably going to come into the game in a slightly different route um, and certainly that was the case for me so I think if there's anyone any young spinners listening who aren't really involved in the county age group say like that doesn't really matter you know it's more about what you're doing in in five years so that's that's the important thing um yeah, that very much feeds into one of the programs we sort of put in place through the Brian Johnson Memorial Trust in terms of supplying specialist spin bowling coaching for all county pathways, but also the MCC universities. Because if these guys are maturing later, then they're more likely to go to university, and that's where they need that support. So we sort of we sort of we extended that sort of support for aspiring spin bowlers into the university pathway so that they got the sort of the appropriate help and, and support there. Yeah. Oh, I think I was a massive benefactor of that, you know, um, and Chris Brown used to come and do our sessions. I was, I was actually really lucky at uni, you know, we had, um, Safran Sari and, and Paul Best there as well, who mm-hmm. at the time were, were pros at, at Surrey and Warwickshire and, you know, I wasn't really signed anywhere, but I got the full benefit of, of Chris Brown coming in and doing a lot of, um, a lot of the stuff you spoke about, like, you know, a lot of alignment drills, working out those kind of things. I know you came down a couple of times, like, you know, those and those kind of sessions for me, especially at that age, are like completely invaluable, even for just informing my other training and getting a, getting an understanding. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, to be fair, it's probably a big motivation for doing this podcast is the more, you know, you can hear these kind of um, things about spin bowling at a, a younger age, the more it hopefully help a lot of young spinners. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Sort of, it just feeds into that passion and that sort of love of the art. Definitely. Um, so, like, moving on, I remember you were saying to me, you know, you're a big part of your job, or you know, a main part of your job was basically helping spinners um, 
get as ready as they can for their kind of international or test debut. And, you know, in your playing career, you had a really successful debut yourself. You know, what is, I know we've spoken about a lot of different kind of initiatives and stuff, but, you know, what is the best way for a spinner to prepare for playing international cricket? Um, I think it's just, it's, the simple answer is, is to, to, um, to put in the volume of training and practice that's required um, to get those all important match play overs under your belt, that sort of thing there. And, um, and sometimes it's, it's all about timing. It can be sort of, you know, you could be playing against the, the right opposition on the right surface at the right time. And sometimes, particularly with young spinners, what can happen sometimes is that they sort of make their debut when they're actually sliding down the back of a wave. And by that, I mean, you're, you're building, you're playing well, you're getting yourself noticed, you're getting yourself noticed, and then you're peaking, and then you're sliding down the back of the wave, and you get the opportunity at the wrong time. You know, you need to be getting that opportunity when you're on the up, as opposed to just sort of sliding down the back and having a little bit of a, a lapse in form, because there's nothing worse than going into a big game when, you're, when you feel your form is just sort of sliding away a little bit. So, you know, a lot of it is fortune and opportunity and sometimes with spinners there is less opportunity because generally speaking over the years England have played one spin bowler so they've had sort of a you know a Graham Swan in there for however long or a Monty Panasar or a Moeen Alley that sort of thing there so if you're only looking for that one spinner perhaps for a home test match then by the time you come to change it that young spinner may well be sliding down the back of that wave yeah definitely and I think yeah, I think that's completely spawned. I think that's always probably was probably a big, you know, thing for you as just English spinners in general, making sure they get that those opportunities, which I guess also leads into, you know, the the placement programme that, that you set up and stuff. Um sure. so yeah. Mm-hmm. So talking more about like what you're doing at the moment, Sue. So um, you know, I think you left the ECB a year or two ago. Um and since then you set up uh, the Spin Academy, like, you know, what's the Spin Academy and, and what kind of stuff have you been doing? Yeah, as I say, I finished with ECB probably about 12 months ago now, sort of in November last year. And um, I still had a, a massive passion for cricket and a real passion for coaching spin. So I wanted to sort of continue to do that and felt that I still had a lot to offer in that sort of regard. So what we what we did sort of is, well, what I've done is I set up the Spin Academy and... Um, it's based um, in the sort of southeast, but we we do sort of work with bowlers from all over the country, um, and it's an opportunity to come for regular sessions where you get five hours of working with spin. So you get the opportunity to sort of totally immerse yourself in the art of spin bowling. So yeah, we've got lots of different activities that sort of go on during the day. Uh, five hours of contact time is a long time so you're not bowling all the time but you get an opportunity to do some technical bowling work you get an opportunity to explore some tactical options with your bowling we use a a spin specific strength and conditioning program that's run by a a strength and conditioning coach and also the other thing that we do is we give the guys the opportunity to work on their batting as well because as spin bowlers um, you have to work on that side of your game as well so that you can offer just a little bit more than what you do with your wrist and your fingers. Um, so, um, yeah, we, we, it's, a, it's a complete sort of spin bowling package where we look to sort of drill down into 
all the different elements that go towards making successful spin bowlers and look to sort of give people takeaway messages that they work on in between sessions. So you might come one month and it's a three or four week break and then you come back again. But in the interim, you've gone away with some developmental feedback and some drills, some exercises, some thoughts and ideas that you need to take on yourself and, uh, and move forward on. And then we just sort of continue sort of throughout. So, uh, yeah, it's a sort of... Um, most of the contact time is during the winter because that's when you get the opportunity to work with players and, and you can work with them developmentally. During the summer, there's a lot of match play going on, but you do offer remote coaching support during the summer. So so they might send a video clip in there and something might have gone am- amiss in their action. So you might sort of analyse the video for them and sort of send them a note back or talk to them and say, look, in the winter we worked on alignment perhaps need to revisit some of those drills on alignment because you're just sort of out of kilter a little bit. So that sort of thing there. But it, like I say, it's just a, an opportunity for, for talented young spin bowlers who are keen to improve to have the opportunity to totally immerse themselves for a, for a whole day. And that's not what you can do, generally speaking. I don't think anybody else can, can offer that at the moment. No, that sounds great. And uh, is there like a website that people go on to find out more information? Yeah, absolutely. Just sort of Google the Spin Academy. I think it's www.thespinacademy.co.uk. I think that's right. Uh, I must check that one out. Um, yeah, I'll Google the Spin Academy and you get to it. Trust yeah, me. <laughs> that sounds good. I think as a, when I was young, that sounds like the type of thing it would have been absolutely perfect. Um, of course, I won't take up uh, too much more of your time, Sush. Um, but the finishing question I kind of ask every guest is for just one bit of on-field advice and one bit of off-field advice and, and where we've covered a lot today. So okay. it be something we've already already spoken about, but if you had to nail it down to one, what would it be? Okay. Um, on-field, I think that what you have to do is you have to work out a way of pleasing the captain. Yeah. And by that... You've got to sort of bowl in a fashion that doesn't get him thinking about taking you off and giving somebody else a go. You need that ball in your hand and you need to be bowling. So to please the captain, you need to pose a threat and you need to control the game. You've got to do one or the other, or if you can do both, happy days. Brilliant. So work out a way of actually pleasing the captain. And um, the best way of doing that is your stop ball because that is your best way of attacking a batsman by landing that quality delivery with spin. But it's also your best way of defending yourself when you're under pressure. When you're under pressure, you've got to go to your stop ball and land that with spin. And then try to be pretty savvy in terms of how you use your field. Have people positioned to catch your best ball and then squeeze and defend with the rest. And um, I tend to find that a lot of young spin bowlers fall into the trap of being overly aggressive with their field setting when they first come on. And all of a sudden, they leak a few boundaries. They bowl three overs to 20, and the captain says, cheers, thanks a lot, and that's their game over. Find a way of keeping yourself in the game. And, you know, fielders on the boundary are no bad thing. You know, it can be as a wicket-taking option with a man out at cow corner, or it can be a man out of deep cover just to sort of field that cut that goes for one instead of four. And it keeps you in the game for longer. So that's what I'd sort of suggest on the field. Find a way of pleasing the captain and keeping yourself in the game for longer because ultimately it's a numbers game. The more overs you bowl, the more wickets you get. 
the more wickets you get, the better the career you have. So just try and think about it that way. And then off the field, um, I think it's just a matter of working hard and taking opportunities to get better. Practice your art because you're never going to get good at it unless you practice it. And you know, like I said at the, the opening sort of part of the podcast here, you know, I don't know of a, a talented quality spin bowler that hasn't actually sort of put those hours in to get good. Yeah, definitely. I think they're, they're two really good messages. I think that, that pleasing the captain is definitely something I'll be thinking about for this season. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's a man that controls your destiny, so you need to you need to manage him well. Yeah, definitely. Always a very important um, person for the cap, uh, for the spinner. But yeah, um, that's pretty much everything, Sue. So um, uh, thanks a lot for, for coming on. And a reminder, it's the Spin Academy, um, if anyone's interested in that. Okay, brilliant. And uh, okay, I shall... I shall dial into the, the, the Spin Badger podcast shortly. Brilliant. Thanks, Ish. Okay, you take care. Good to talk, Jack. Gosh, go, go well. <laughs>